Welcome to the Public Rally. On Friday, April 15, 2016, three police officers were crowded into Assistant Principal's Office at Hobgood Elementary School, and Tammy Garrett, the school's principal, had no idea what to do. One officer, wearing a tactical vest, was telling her, go get the kids. A second officer was telling her, don't go get the kids. The third officer said nothing. Garrett knew the police had been sent to arrest some children, although exactly which children it would turn out was unclear to everyone, even to these officers. The names police had given the principal included four girls now sitting in classrooms throughout the school. All four girls were black. There was a sixth grader, two fourth graders, and a third grader. The youngest was eight. On the sunny Friday afternoon in spring, she wore her hair in pigtails. This is an excerpt from a recently released article by ProPublica and Nashville Public Radio that details the juvenile justice system in Rutherford County, Tennessee, with a staggering history of jailing children. For decades, Rutherford County has embarked on a systematic policy that incarcerates primarily black and brown children as young as seven years old. According to the reporting by ProPublica, the statewide rate for children incarceration is 5%, but in Rutherford County, it is 48%. Moreover, the fallout from this excerpt that I just read, 11 black children were arrested for a crime that does not exist. They witnessed a fight between children younger than seven years of age. Joining me to discuss this bizarre policy is Holly McCall. McCall is a veteran journalist who serves as editor-in-chief of the Tennessee Lookout. Holly McCall, welcome to The Public Morality. Aaron, thank you so much for having me today. I'm honored to be part of a discussion of morality. <laughs> now, aren't we all, if we can find it? Um, I want to begin by having you offer just a condensed version um, for our listeners uh, of the juvenile justice issues surrounding Rutherford County, if you would. You know, it's hard to condense it, but I will do my best. So since 2003, so for 18 years, more than 1,000 children have been illegally incarcerated through a policy that's called Always Arrest. And in 2017, the chief U.S. district judge in Nashville, Waverly Crenshaw, issued an injunction to block the policy, saying that it led to, quote, unquestionable harm for juveniles. Now, since then, there have been almost two years of wrangling in a class action suit that has uh, finally settled in June, I think, June of this year, June of 2021, that said Rutherford County must pay $11 million, most of that directly to children who had been arrested. Uh, and it's not even the first time the court's been sued in, or the county's been sued. In 2019, Rutherford County had to pay $250,000 to settle a case in which a developmentally disabled boy was locked in solitary confinement. And I'm going to add that most of the children who have been locked up were black or brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, on that note, who is uh, Judge Donna Scott Davenport, who, defines, who self-defines herself as the mother of the county? You know, um, it, this is just bizarre. So she, she's a native of South Carolina who largely grew up in Tennessee, and she got both a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in criminal justice from Middle Tennessee State University, and that is in Murfreesboro in Rutherford County. 
and then she proceeded to get a law degree from the Nashville School of Law. That's a four-year night school program. It used to be called the YMCA School of Law. It's non-accredited. Now, when I say this, I want to add that there's some very fine lawyers who come out of this program because it allows you to work during the day, go to school at night. It just means that you can't practice law outside the state of Tennessee. Um, in her case, however, she it took her five years to pass the bar exam. And so she was not eligible to practice law until nine years after graduating law school. Um, she's also lied about her job history. Um, she said that she'd had extensive uh, experience in juvenile justice. In fact, she'd been an investigator in divorce cases. She was appointed to be magistrate in 1999 of the newly created Rutherford County Juvenile Court. And then in 2000, the Rutherford County Commission appointed her to serve as the judge, and she was elected by the public in 2006. And there she sits. Um, you know, she's been appointed to a statewide board by a former Republican governor, Bill Haslam. Uh, that was in 2012. He appointed her to this board to help strengthen the state's child protection and juvenile justice systems. And here she sits all these years later. It's also my understanding that, that, that it was Judge Davenport specifically that instructed law enforcement that every child, no matter how minor the infractions, um, uh, are, are, are arrested and, and they needed to be transferred to the juvenile detention center. And once they were in the juvenile d detention center, then the filter could be applied. Could, could you explain the filter system, please? Well, I'm not sure I can explain it because there's not a lot of structure around it, but I will do my best. So the filter system is something that is um, it's unique to Rutherford County. It is not a formal process. It is something apparently that the um, the head, the head jailer in the juvenile justice detention center uh, created. Her name is Lynn Duke. Um, certainly while Davenport is a key player, she's not the only player, and we'll get into that more later. But Duke said it was her, quote, her policy to use when necessary, and the filter system was to lock up kids who were deemed a true threat. But there's really no definition of what defines a true threat. And then I'm just going to add, I don't see how any eight or nine-year-old is a true threat, but this was just some very loose, like they call it a policy is to give it too much credence. It wasn't a formal policy. It was basically just something that a couple of people, including Davenport, cooked up to say this eight-year-old is more dangerous than another eight-year-old. And, and uh, Davenport calls her work God's mission. Um, as children are being arrested and the detention centers are, are given this sort of wide latitude under this, this amorphous filter system, to me, these are my words. I mean, that's something like a theological interpretation that provides moral legitimacy to, to what is essentially a school-to-prison pipeline. Well, I think you said that very well. Uh, I, I just find that, I mean, there are a lot of definitions of morality. Um, you know, there are folks who think it's immoral to curse, to swear. There are folks who think it's immoral to drink or smoke pot. Uh, but when you use something like, you know, this is God's mission— you're absolutely right. It does give this theological and religious credence to policies. And, and I don't want to stray too far away from this, but we see this type of thing all over Tennessee and its usages in politics everywhere. This is just one more instance of, you know, we have state legislators who define themselves as followers of Christ or men of faith, and yet they refuse to expand Medicaid, which would give health care to 300,000 people. So I would say that Davenport is just one among so many elected officials in Tennessee 
that is pulling the wool over her constituents' eyes, frankly, by using the word of God to justify actions that I don't see how anybody could think it is a moral thing to arrest and handcuff eight-year-old children and perp walk them from their elementary school to a patrol car. And and to to, to your last point, I actually looked this up just to make sure before I even put it out here for our conversation. But when I'm reading these accounts in in ProPublica and and elsewhere, uh, along with your editorial, um, I don't want to sound hyperbolic, but China doesn't lock up eight-year-old children. Um, I, I, I don't think that's it, it's not hyperbolic. I, you know, I just can't get my head around how you think that is appropriate. And Davenport has said in interviews, she said something to the effect of, I think I've only arrested one seven year old, one seven year old, but eight and nine year olds are common. And I'm seeing, seeing a lot of violence in eight and nine year olds. And I, I just like how violent. The number of children she's locking up, if there are that many violent eight or nine year olds, court is not the place for them. We have a serious health care issue and mental health issue that's not being addressed. So I just don't believe there's that many violent eight and nine year olds. And I don't know how putting them in a jail is going to improve that situation. It's just like it's it boggles my mind. And I know I even wrote last week. I can't talk about it without sputtering because there's just no legitimacy to it uh, and we are talking about arresting eight-year-olds for watching five and six-year-olds fight let's this is let's have that piece into that as well yes that was um probably one of the more egregious cases um literally i think the ProPublica and wpln story said that five, two five-year-old boys were feebly throwing or throwing feeble punches and you've got an eight-year-old standing next to them saying stop tay tay stop and for whatever reason, you know, what are the five-year-old boys? They say, do you think something should be done? He said, yes, he's a five-year-old. So that's when they go into the school. Like for your listeners who are not familiar with this, they send three policemen, grown policemen, into an elementary school and tell the principal they're getting ready to arrest her eight and nine-year-olds because they did not do anything to stop these five-year-olds from fighting. It, it's just, it's bizarre. Yeah, I mean, just the the the, the ProPublica piece. Um, I mean, there were accounts of uh, I think the, I think it was the eight year old in, in particular who uh, literally was throwing up on the floor when the police came. I mean, it was just a ghastly account that I found it, it very it, difficult to read. Go ahead, I'm sorry. It, no, it really is. I mean, this child, and if you even put yourself back to think about what you were like at eight eight years old, like we are all taught, I think, to be afraid of the police. I mean, there might be a time in our distant past in the 1950s when the police was somebody you looked up to. And I'm not, but, but, you know, if you're eight years old and a cop comes and asks for you, we're all going to be scared. I'm 57. And if a cop follows me, I'm still scared. I'm a 57 year old white woman. And I'm scared when a cop follows me. Imagine being an eight year old and you get called to the principal's office, which is scary enough. And then there are three grown policemen there and they tell you they're arresting you and putting you in handcuffs. You know, I think the principal was crying. And, yes, she she threw up on the floor. She was terrified. Uh, Rutherford County uh, detains and arrests children at a much higher rate than, than, than the rest of the state. Um, I think I think that what the, 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 it's 48 percent, 5 percent. I mean, 
Is there any way to even account for that disparity? From a moral standpoint, no, there's not. Um, you know, from a fiscal standpoint, um, I think we might we may talk about this later. I'm just going to go ahead and throw it in. One of the Rutherford County commissioners referred to the juvenile detention center as it's just like a hotel uh, because the I think it was um, Lynn Duke, the chief jailer there, said if there's a vacancy, she's going to fill it. If there's a bed empty, she's going to fill it. And Rutherford County contracts with other counties. I think it's 38 or 39 counties out of Tennessee's 95. So a third, more than a third of the counties in Tennessee pay Rutherford County $175 a night to send their problem children there. And, and actually, if I, if, I, if I understand the story correctly, um, some of the losses that you re- referenced earlier um, just really caused Rutherford County to just sort of s- switch direction and become more of a cash cow to other counties. Is that, is that, is, was that accurate? It's absolutely correct. They actually produced a video that markets the juvenile detention center to other counties that basically says, let us help you with our problems. Here we are. Uh, They built a, you know, they've got a fairly new juvenile justice center, detention center. Uh, I believe it was recommended to be like 23 beds and instead it's 64. So they made it almost three times as large as it was recommended. And, you know, apparently they do that so they can continue to produce these very slick videos to market themselves to other counties and and raise revenue. And boy, I tell you what, if you got to raise revenue by jailing small children, you got some serious financial problems. And that's a whole other like we, we may get into if you want like this is. Judge Davenport is is just indicative of systemic issues in Rutherford County and financial malfeasance. I'm speaking with a veteran journalist, Holly McCall, about the juvenile justice system, specifically in, in Rutherford County, Tennessee. Holly, what exactly uh, that occurs in Rutherford County so that arresting children, I, I mean, I can't even emphasize that enough that it, we're talking about children. Uh, how does how does it even? I'm, I can I can barely get out. You can barely get the words out to answer my question. I can barely get the words out to ask you the question. I mean, how is it that you can sit in a room uh, and say, you know, I got a good idea. Let let's let's arrest children. Let's let's drop the age to seven. Um, and, and this is a financial windfall. I mean, how is this even possible? Well, I hope you've given me a few minutes to talk about this. Uh, the word that I used in my column last week was rot. There is a rot in Rutherford County, and it starts at the top of the food chain. You have a county mayor who is a former uh, state senator. Um, first of all, this guy, when he was a state senator, he saw a mop sink in the state legislative building and freaked out because he thought it was a Muslim foot washing sink and made a scene about that. Yes. He is now the county mayor in Rutherford County, and he has been going back and forth with the State Ethics Commission for a couple of years now for campaign finance violations, where he used personal, um, he used campaign funds for personal reasons. His daughter was his treasurer. They committed fraud. They were running an insurance firm that was committing fraud. So that's the top of the heap. Um, and then the other thing is, uh, you know, the county commission approved this. And the county commission has never done anything more than tell Judge Davenport she's doing a good job. 
There's no accountability for her. So it's not just her. They give her they gave her a 23% budget increase last week. And I'm going to go ahead and drop it in there. There's also racism. You know, most of these kids are black, brown children. I just don't think if white children were being locked up that this would this would be going on. Um, you know, racism is endemic in this country. It is. I don't know that it's worse in the South than it is elsewhere. I've lived all over the country. I heard the N-word used more often in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, than I ever heard it openly used in the South. But I guarantee, you know, I saw a comment on, on this story where somebody said, it's sad that the parents didn't feel empowered to say something. And it is sad, but I, I, I got to tell you, I would think that a lot of Black parents would probably just think, you know what, maybe this will go away. Nobody's going to listen to me anyway. If they feel empowered to lock up my eight-year-old, why are they going to listen to me? And so I think you've got this system across the state of Tennessee in Rutherford County, and then you've got this endemic racism. Uh, judges in Tennessee are, are elected uh, by the voters. So outside the voters, are there any mechanisms to remove a judge if it's been proven that they have failed to carry out uh, their responsibilities? And I say that with a caveat, just given some of the answers you provided that, there may be some who feel that Judge Davenport is not operating outside the scope of her responsibilities. Well, Byron, you know, Tennessee makes it very hard to remove any public official. We have got almost zero public ballot initiative system. And so the only way to uh, remove a judge is to have the legislator do it, legislature do it. And the legislature is, you know, it's a supermajority Republican. We haven't gotten into partisan politics too much, but Rutherford County is dominated by Republican politicians. It looks like it might be purpling, but it's dominated by Republican politicians. You've got several prominent legislators from Rutherford County. And, um, you know, I would not anticipate the legislature would take any action. Now, I will say that Governor Bill Lee has asked for action on this. He's asked for an investigation into Judge Davenport, but he's currently at odds with the legislature. And I am not, I have no faith that they would take action on this. They did talk about removing a Nashville judge last year, and that was because she had ruled that people could um, vote by um, mail-in ballot during the pandemic. And that did disturb the legislature enough to want to remove her. Uh, but I would be shocked if they take action on this. Um, you, you, you touched on this earlier in your answer. I'd like to have you expand. But if we're, if we're talking about sort of subjectively – incarcerating children um, who, who are seven, um, and some can be held uh, sort of a violation of habeas corpus, I guess. Some can be held for as long as 10 days. I can't imagine the impact mentally that that, that, that would have on a child. Do you have any uh, data on some of the long-term damage uh, that I would imagine is incalculable, but do you have any data on that and, and how this might have some long-term damage on children? You know, I honestly, I, I don't have a lot. I did notice that WPLN and ProPublica had talked to uh, several parents about the effects on their children. Uh, I will also add that it is, you know, Tennessee's law says that you can detain a juvenile for 72 hours. And so by keeping them for 10 days, they're already doing something illegal. Um, I mean, I, I don't have data and I'm not sure how you would measure that without interviews. Um, but But I have to tell you, I just... I have got a problem with the way our juvenile 
since you've gotten me on here, I'm going to expand a little bit. I've got a problem with our juvenile justice system anyway. When you see uh, even teenagers, 14-year-olds being treated as adults, you know, and I understand that killing somebody, there's not anything worse. But why have a juvenile justice system at all? Why have a juvenile justice system if you're going to change the rules? Is somebody, if somebody is 14, their brain is not developed, they commit a horrible, horrible crime, uh, but they're, we're going to try them as an adult. Like, why even bother having a juvenile justice system if you're going to arrest kids that are seven to eight years old? I, I just, I think our whole system needs to be overhauled. But besides Judge Davenport, who are some of the, who are some of the other key? You mentioned the mayor, but who are some of the other key players that that's allowed this? Well, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, she's enabled by a lot of people underneath her. Um, you've got a couple of what are they called? I'm trying to think of the title. Oh, judicial commissioners. So there's one named Amy Anderson. She's the person who came up with the quote crime for which these children should be charged. Um, it was actually an offense called. Um, what is it called? Criminally responsible for the actions of others. So that's not actually a crime. But when they were trying to figure out what to charge these kids with, Amy Anderson is one of the judicial commissioners who went through Tennessee statutes to come up with that. It's not a crime. In fact, what it's defined as somebody who fails to make a reasonable effort to prevent commission of the offense. But in fact, if somebody eggs on a person to charge a robbery, the person who eggs it on is charged with robbery. They're not charged with this criminal you know, offense to blah, blah, blah inside a crime. So you've got Amy Anderson, who, by the way, was bumming pain pills from a clerk. You've got Lynn Duke at the jail, who's got her own little filter system for which eight-year-old uh, is a true threat or not. And then again, you've got these county commissioners who serve as much like Davenport's bosses as anybody else. They come in there and tell her she's doing a great job and give her budget increases. And then there's the Tennessee Department of Children's Services, who they are supposed to audit juvenile detention facilities. And for years, the only comments they have had are, it's a clean facility. Really? You've got a state, somebody from the state going in to monitor these facilities. You don't notice there are a lot of small children there. You just notice it's clean. So the bottom line is, I, this lies at two different levels: the state and the county. No, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you say that while I mean a lot of focus is on Judge Davenport, that um, she's had local help as well as, as statewide help, and all, I'm also gleaning uh, from your previous answers that, that there's a, a a sort of a larger. Uh, culture, if we will, in the volunteer state that 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 can allow for this type of uh, policy to maintain itself for for decades. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to call out the state, uh, the Tennessee Department of Children's Services, because again, they are responsible for sort of auditing these facilities. They approve these detention centers for migrant children. There was recently a case in Chattanooga where some migrant children were gonna be temporarily housed at a facility approved by the Tennessee Department of Children's Services. And several of the kids were sexually assaulted by staff members. Um, so there's that going on. Anita Wadwani, who's a very fine reporter with my outlet, the Tennessee Lookout, found out that the Tennessee Department of Children's Services was taking children in and then making them sleep on the floor of state office buildings with no blankets. Somebody sent us a video that showed dirty diapers piled up next to a kid sleeping. So, you know, the buck stops at the top. It's not just this governor who's been in office since 2019. This has been going on for decades. And my hope is that 
you know, this incident's coming out. Like Davenport's not acting in a vacuum, right? Is she a good person? I would say no. But she's gotten approval, tacit or, you know, explicit for the last almost 20 years. This does not go on without without being abetted. Again, I'm speaking with veteran journalist Holly McCall about the juvenile justice system uh, in Rutherford County, Tennessee. Holly, in, in your recent editorial, you, you, you wrote, um, juxtaposing, and these are my words, the seemingly paradoxical nature of the state emphasis on children uh, and education funding. Like, we, we can have a system that we've been talking about um, during our time together where the, that arrest seven-year-olds, but at the same time, the state's 46th out of 50 in terms of education funding. It won't accept the Medicaid, Medicare expansion dollars that you, that you talked about that leaves thousands of children without health care. Uh, am I cynical to suggest that what's happening in, in the, with the juvenile justice in Rutherford County is closer to a statewide norm? Uh, than improving education and providing adequate health care for the most vulnerable populations? You know what? I really couldn't put it better than that. And no, I don't think you're cynical. I don't think you're cynical. It, um, You know, this failure to accept the Medicaid expansion, uh, we get into the moral issues there because you'll hear legislators talk about how people need to take care of themselves and pull themselves up. And they withdrew, you know, they withdrew access to federal unemployment, uh, additional unemployment funds early through COVID because they said people could just get a job. So you've got that going on. I think this is just one more microcosm of what's going on across the state. The lack of funding, you know, legislators will say we don't need to throw money at the education problem. Well, we're 46th in the country, so, you know, we can throw money and we might get to 45th. But yeah, I mean, I think there's, we've got some problems in this state with education, with health care, you know, infant mortality is high, maternal mortality is high, and there's a lot of talk that is not backed up by actions. Um, t- talk to me, if you would, just about the, the, the politics in the state of Tennessee, such as they are. Um, and I'm wondering specifically, will, would this will fall into those predictable talking points that define the left and the right um, that ultimately result in a stalemate and, and, and no change occurs? Yeah, I mean, Tennessee is a supermajority Republican state. Our two U.S. senators are Republican. Our governor is Republican. Both chambers of the legislature, Senate and House, are supermajority Republican. Now, I want to say I'm, I'm 57, so I remember when Democrats dominated the state, which they did until about 10 years ago from the time of Reconstruction onward. And it's not that Democrats were flawless either. They did a lot of stupid things. But I've never seen this sort of just maliciousness towards constituents that I see now. And a lot of it is backed up by if you say you're a Christian, you must be a Christian. And if you are a Republican, it's easy to define yourself as a Christian. If you are a Democrat and say you're a Christian, uh, I mean, I've got plenty of friends who are elected officials who are running for office as Democrats. And uh, there are voters who just literally do not believe them. But if you say you're a Christian, you put that on your Twitter handle, then Dad gum, you must be a Christian and you must be doing the right thing for the state of Tennessee. Hmm. Since the story broke, have you uh, noticed any change in the mood within the state and the area that you live? Have you noticed any difference or is just a story? You know, I have noticed a lot of anger. Uh, I've heard from people. I've actually gotten more emails on the column I wrote last week than I've ever gotten. 
Um, it's been read last time I checked 8,000 times. It's got a lot of reads. I think there's something very visceral that, that hits people when you hear about like little children, these aren't, these aren't even teenagers, they're little children. So there's something very visceral that hits people. I don't know whether this will result in long-term change because as you know, from the 24 seven news cycle, that was last week. Something else is gonna happen this week that seems to us crazy. Just when I think I cannot be shocked or surprised anymore, something else happens that shocks and surprises me. Our legislature is in special session this week to approve um, eight, was it $8 billion, I think? Uh, tax incentives for Ford Motor Company to come to West Tennessee. That's probably going to suck up the news cycle. Um, I, I guess I'm a little cynical too. I don't know if we'll see real change from this story. I think folks will move on. But, now, Rutherford County, this, this is the same place that uh, the first time it really brought to my attention was at a school board meeting where the, some heckled a young man who had talked about his grandmother dying from COVID and was advocating for for wearing masks. This is the same place, right? Yes. And, you know, in this case, I, you probably know school board meetings across the country have become very heated. Um, but yes, Rutherford County was the place where a very well-spoken, I think, high school student stood up and said, you know, I just lost my grandmother to COVID. I think we should do anything possible that will help uh, stop the spread of COVID. And there was literally a grown woman sitting behind in the video laughing at him and heckling him. And I don't remember where she worked, but I do think that her company took action against her and she no longer has her job. But again, like the, the we don't have time to go into the current politics of this nation, but to think that some adult would laugh at a child emotionally talking about his grandfather dying. I mean, that's not just a Rutherford County thing, but yes, that did happen in Rutherford County. Hmm. Uh, and, and, and does it matter? I mean, I, mean, I guess it shouldn't, uh... Uh, we are talking about seven and eight-year-olds, but does, it, does the fact that these these practices are also unconstitutional, does that have any weight on this at all, or, or is that just pablum? You know, I, I, it should have weight uh, because, again, we've got a large number of elected officials who call themselves strict constitutionalists, uh, but some of them, many of them, tend to be strict constitutionalists when it benefits them. Uh, they're very pro-Second Amendment. Uh, they waver on the First Amendment. For instance, our state legislature, you may or may not know, passed um, a law last year in a special session to say that people cannot protest in public, they can't camp, quote, in public spaces, basically because we had some Black Lives Matter protesters uh, who were protesting in front of the state capitol. So, yeah, I mean, I think they're constitutionalists when it suits their point. And I, I don't, again, I just don't think anything's going to come from this. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I mean, I'm a little encouraged that the governor, uh, who I grew up a few years behind, he has his flaws, but at least he did speak out on this. Um, offering the most generous analysis possible, how is this not an abuse of power? I just don't think there is a generous view of this. It's a grotesque abuse of power. You know, like... Once again, like, why do you have a juvenile justice system? Judge Davenport talks about how it's a rehabilitative process. You should rehabilitate juveniles. Five-year-olds throwing punches and then have arresting the eight-year-olds who are watching. There's no rehabilitation there. There's nothing. First of all, there's nothing to rehabilitate from. Kids are going to be kids. I mean, that is there's nothing troubling in that scenario to me. 
when I was a kid, like sometimes we slapped each other a little bit. I'm not saying there's a place for violence, um, but a five-year-old's doing no damage and eight-year-olds standing in the background telling them to stop. There's just, there's no, there's just no, there's no rehabilitation needed for most of these children. Like I've not seen one case specified in Rutherford County that called for kids to be rehabilitated and what rehabilitation is it doing? I think it's doing exactly the opposite. I mean, you're talking at an age, whether you're five, you're six, I mean, what, you're 48, 60 months away from when you when crying meant either I'm hungry or I need my diaper changed. So, I mean, we, we need some latitude here, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, again, you're offering a very generous view of this. It, um, I, I don't know, like, I'm just almost speechless as how you would consider that an eight-year-old could conduct any crime, any crime. Like, again, why even have a juvenile justice system if you're going to abuse it in this way? Uh, in, in terms of, uh, 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 I mean, I, I know this is this is a red, this is a red area, and I and I know that uh, a number of the elected officials that have spoken up uh, ha- have been Democrats. Um, have there been any uh, Republicans uh, uh, that have taken issue with this, or are they, are they have they been muted? Uh, under politics. You know, I have not heard I have not heard any Republicans speak out strongly against this other than the governor, who is a Republican. Uh, there is a Democratic legislator from Knoxville, Tennessee, Representative Gloria Johnson. She's a retired special education teacher. She's spoken out very strongly about this. I would say she has a personal understanding of what it's like to work with young children as well or better than anybody else. But it's uh, the silence from general generally from politicians has been deafening nothing from our u.s senators i am not sure i've heard any of our congressmen speak out about this um nothing in congressional newsletters about it uh, even the congressman who represents that area i frankly have not heard any of the rutherford county state representatives say anything about it now once again i might have missed something but i stay pretty tuned in i probably read 30 different news outlets a day I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, and if I've missed it, I apologize, but I have not heard Jack from any of the Republican state legislators. Well, if, if you missed it, we will have you back for mea culpa, if in fact you missed it. How's that? <laughs> you know what? If I, if I missed it, I will be the first person to apologize. I like to be fair. Um, a screw-up is a screw-up no matter what party you're from. Um. How is this not? Uh, I, I, I know maybe I'm 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 spitting the wind here, but how is this not uh, a moral indictment on this entire area, if if not the state? And and how is it not that people don't see it that way? You know, that's I don't understand. You know, we started this. We started our interview by saying some people consider it immoral to drink or smoke pot or to swear. And our definitions of morality in the U.S. in recent years, I think, have become so skewed. We don't have a clear value set for what is moral or immoral. In my book, arresting, handcuffing, perp walking children is immoral. But you know what? I do swear a lot. And so I'm sure there are plenty of people who look at me and think I'm an immoral person. I I just I don't understand why this is not national news. This should be a national news story. 
I don't understand why there is not outcry across the state of Tennessee. I don't understand why state legislators aren't only looking at this and taking action, but why aren't they looking at other juvenile justice systems across the state? Why aren't they looking at the systems who are farming their kids out to Rutherford County? But no, we're giving away, you know, however many billions of dollars to the Ford company. And honestly, I'm not sure that that's a bad thing where they're bringing industry into an underdeveloped part of the state. But but the emphasis on the finances rather than like the personal, it's just gotten away from us. It's really, it's. I got to tell you, it's really dispiriting. Like it really bothers me to talk about this. I mean, I'm happy to talk with you, but I just, this is the most appalling and upsetting story to me to come out of Tennessee in recent years. I just don't know how you get worse. It it, it bothers me. Uh, uh, it bothers me to, to even ask the questions. Um, and I, I'm sure some of my listeners will email me and say, well, Byron, you, you sound more biased than, than, than you normally sound. Um, frankly, my, my attitude about this particular story, there is no other side. Right. When you're talking about locking up seven-year-olds, I'm not gonna have I'm not gonna have you on Holly and uh, and someone else to offer the the other side to locking up seven-year-olds. There 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 is no other side. Um, there is no justification. What is the 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 uh, is there a conviction rate on on uh, for, for 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 children's charges? Is is there a percentage are you aware of, or is, is that just is that stuff that's hidden behind uh, closed doors? I have not seen that, uh, but I'd, again, I'd go back to that statistic that Rutherford County locks up 50% of kids who come into juvenile court and other, I think there are, like I said, I don't remember how many other counties have juvenile courts, but other counties lock up about 5%. Right. So, so if you, if you get in this system, I mean, you have a one in two chance of, of, of being locked up. And again, it's a very subjective system on who gets locked up. It's, you know, whether or not this court person in court who might have been taking pain pills or not decides you're a true threat. Now, I, I, I know you, you probably don't have any way of knowing this, and you, you, but you touched on it earlier. Um, I mean, I just couldn't imagine um, if, if, this, if, if this was a, a plethora of white kids. I just couldn't imagine that this lasted a week, let alone several decades. You know, again, I suppose this is there. I don't have data on that and it's probably subjective, but my gut tells me the same thing. Um, you know, if it had started with the first time a judge had locked up eight or 10, I think they had subpoenas for 10 or 11 kids. If they'd all been white, there would have been such an outcry. And, you know, I don't have data, but I know what I see and I know what I observe and I know how people are treated. I see how it's treated and how kids are treated in my home county, Williamson County. It's the most affluent county in the state. And you have a group called Mothers for Liberty that is, you know, doesn't want uh, the history of Martin Luther King to be taught. Um, you know, they don't want the Ruby Bridges school about a little girl who integrated schools. They don't want that taught because they think, they think it shames white children. Come on, man. Like, I don't know how you don't have to be an exceptionally woke person to look at the history of this country and realize that black people have, to put it mildly, not been treated fairly. And so, yes, I I just don't think there's any way that there would not have been an uproar in 2003 when this started, if the kids had been white. But 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 even if you but even uh, if you are uncomfortable with 
the woke culture. If you're uncomfortable with Black Lives Matter, you still got a position on whether or not a seven-year-old should be locked up. I mean, you should. Now, I will tell you, I have not heard from anybody who thinks that this is a good thing. So I'm sure there are some folks out there in the general public who are saying to themselves, well, if Judge Davenport arrested them, they must have needed to be arrested. You know, again, I just I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. Again, there's just no justification. But I'm sure there is somebody out there who can rationalize that. Um, it's not me. Uh, f- finally, I- I'd like to have you s- spend a few minutes um, for as bad as this story is, in my view. Um, but I'd like to have you also comment on the importance of investigative journalism because newspapers, our profession, has taken a real hit. And, um, and, and I know people have their opinions about newspapers and they don't like them. But, but I think oftentimes people uh, don't factor the importance of investigative journalism. And that's what holds our government accountable. And I'd like to get your thoughts, because if it wasn't for an investigative piece that, that started with a story that started with 2016, we would still be ignorant about this uh, story. You know, I'm still very bullish on media and investigative media. Um, you know, newspapers seem to be, there's no seem to be about it. They are cutting their reporter staffs. I think we're going to see a lot of big newspapers go to online only digital in the next few years. But what it really enthuses me and makes me feel good is NPR, for instance, is doing great work. And Nashville's WPLN station was a big part of this story. They worked with ProPublica, which is a fantastic outlet. Frankly, the company I work for, uh, I'm with the Tennessee Lookout. We're the Tennessee arm of state's newsrooms. We've got 25 outlets across the country with stellar investigative reporters. And so that there are these digital-only outlets like ProPublica and State's Newsroom, and I'm trying to think of several of the others, but um, the Marshall Project, which investigates justice, criminal justice issues. You know, there's just, journalism is going in a different way. It's not gonna be paper. If you want to read about entertainment or sports, these outlets aren't the place for you. But if people are interested in holding the government accountable, regardless of who's in charge, whether it's Democrat or Republican, they're going to have to seek some of these outlets out. And I think that we will continue to gain strength. I think you will continue to see more of these outlets spring up. In Tennessee, there's an outlet called Martin Luther King at 50. It's based in Memphis. They do some fantastic investigative journalism. They brought to light a pipeline that was going to be run through an all-Black community. Nobody had heard about it really until there'd been nothing heard in the public until MLK at 50 brought it out. So it really encourages me to see the work that investigative journalists are doing in these, quote, alternative outlets that I think are going to become mainstream. I mean, I, w- I would be remiss if, if, if I didn't also add that that though we are we're talking specifically about um, issues as they relate to Rutherford County, Tennessee, that this behavior, this immorality, on maybe not the same way, but in different ways, is, is happening elsewhere. It's happening in blue states as, as well as other red states. And, and your, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you and I are no spring chickens, uh, Byron. So we know by this time that if, if, it's, if something is happening in one place, it's likely not happening in a vacuum. Uh, There might not be a coordinated effort, but, you know, who knows? Maybe Judge Davenport's talking to other juvenile judges about 
her success, you know, she considers that she's very successful. Rutherford County thinks she's very successful. Uh, and I did call out the State Department of Children's Services. But I also need to say, I know that they are understaffed. Um, they don't have enough social workers. I'm sure they're doing the best job they can do. But every time we cut government, every time you see conservatives want to cut government, I think this is partially what happens. You decrease oversight, you de decrease the government oversight, local things can run wild. And just to take it back a step further, it really is important to have some independent journalism who aren't afraid to hold government accountable. And it, they should hold government accountable, whoever's in charge, Republican, Democrat. But um, yeah, I just don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to assume that this is not the sole instance in Tennessee or the country. In your last answer, I'm reminded of a quote by H.L. Mencken, for every complex problem, there is an answer that's clear, simple, and wrong. And oftentimes, no one, no one takes into account the unintended consequences with their overly simplified answer. Well, let's cut this, let's cut that, let's do this. And, and, and the unintended consequences just sort of get uh, pushed to the side. You know, we could talk for hours about this. Um, but yeah, and I think part of the, in this case, probably what happened is, you know, Judge Davenport started off jailing a few kids nobody said anything and she had people working for her who thought she was doing a great job the, the wpln pro publica story has exchanges between her and some of her co-workers with them telling telling each other they're doing a great job it's the mutual admiration society and then you get raises and you get budget increases and the county commission tells you you're doing great and before you know it you know things might not have started off well but then they've snowballed into just this just atrocious, atrocious situation. Holly McCall, Tennessee Lookout, Editor-in-Chief, I want to thank you so much for, for what um, has been a most difficult conversation, not, not, not in your demeanor, but certainly the, the subject matter. I, 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 um, in preparing to speak with you, I found it difficult. In talking to you, it only heightened uh, my anxiety. But thank you so much for joining me today on The Public Morality. Well, thank you for having me, Byron. The Public Morality welcomes your comments. You can contact me at byron at publicmorality.org. That's Byron, B-Y-R-O-N, at publicmorality.org. You can follow me on Facebook as well as Twitter. The archive broadcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Prime, and SoundCloud. Those listening to the Public Morality on WSNC can now listen on its app, Using your mobile device, simply go to your application page, search WSNC 90.5, and click open to listen from anywhere. And once again, I want to thank Elvin Jenkins and Michael Burns at WGAB in Huntsville, Alabama, for allowing us to broadcast the Pullman Corrality at their studios. The Pullman Corrality is produced at WSNC on the campus of Winston-Salem State University. For all of us at the Pullman Morality, I'm Byron Williams. <laughs>